Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Stunned. Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, The league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Um, of course, hit us up over at IndieCornrows.com as well in the comments. Uh, I'm really psyched to be back for another prospect breakdown and stock up, stock down. Joined as always by Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm too excited to launch into another prospect. I feel like I'm going to be the kombucha girl of, or this is the kombucha girl of players. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, we'll see if that's good or bad. I, uh, I'm i not sure. I personally, we'll find out. All right. Quick, quick take. Do you like kombucha? I've never actually tried it. Don't. I think Hot it's terrible. Take. One of the worst things I've ever had. Uh, my sister loves kombucha and I tried it one time. It's like drinking vinegar that has like some kind of sugar and it's terrible I, I absolutely hate it uh i'm really excited because we're joined by a very good friend of mine um somebody who works over at badgers wire and has covered uh the wisconsin badgers so I, I i wonder who we're talking about today brad davison you are a pacer um asher low asher how are you doing today man i'm good i like kombucha uh a lot more than you do mark in fact my parents are very big on the uh, half seltzer water half kombucha cocktail oh, jesus now. christ that's... They're uh, big on that train, and I got to tell you, it depends on the flavor. You know, there's hits, there's misses. That sounds uh, – it sounds like just a lot of misses for me, man. Like, yeah, playing Battleship without any ships on the board. So, um... <laughs> Sounds a lot like the player we're going to talk about. Too. Oh, wow. Wow. Shots fired, that. just like Johnny. Uh, yeah, we're, we're here to talk about Johnny Davis, somebody who I'm very excited to dive into because I, I actually think this might be the first prospect where you and I really diverge a little bit, Caitlin. That's just the, the vibe I'm getting going in. But uh, do you, do you want to inform the people of our, uh, of our way of, of doing the pod before we get started? Yes, yeah, so our format remains the same. We're calling this stock up, stock down, and we have both – we watched the same sample of games. So we watched Wisconsin play Purdue when Johnny had 37 points. We watched Wisconsin play Michigan State in the Big Ten tournament. We watched the most recent game against Minnesota. And we watched the loss to Iowa State in the NCAA tournament. And then we each pick something to be bearish about and something to be bullish about, about the player. And then we're going to toss those ideas off of Asher as our expert today to get a broader perspective. Yeah, well, you started last time. So I guess I can get us started today. 
Um, I'm going to get us started with for stock up. This one, it's tough. I have so many ways that I could go here. Um, you'd think that I come in with one decided before we go. But oh, I, I have, have one decided that I'm pretty excited about. So. Oh, do you want to go first? Then? Well, just let me, because I, I actually. Okay, I'll you, let you, you go think first. I have a, a solidly negative opinion of Johnny, and I actually oh, don't. I, that's not why. <laughs> I'll let you go. Okay, so I actually picked not the offensive end of the floor, the defensive end of the floor, and I'm kind of terming this as both preventing the need for and executing rotation. So when we talked off air after the prior pod, um, I told you that there was two pacers that not as a comp, but certain attributes that reminded me um, that I thought of while I was watching Johnny Davis play these games. So the pacer that I'm going to bring up, and I hope people don't take this in a negative light because I mean this as a, as a very big compliment, Corey Joseph. So if people remember the 2017-18 season with Corey Joseph, there was literally possessions that season where he would be defending at the point of attack through screens when Al Jefferson was playing the five, and he would completely blow up the ball screen to the point where they would not need to use any surrounding rotations that are necessary in drop coverage. And he would essentially protect Al Jefferson from protecting the rim. And there's a lot of that with Johnny Davis across these four games where I've made that comparison. But the one possession that I want to bring up is in the Minnesota game where they're running a double a double ball screen. He fights over the first one, ducks under the second one, beats the guy to the spot. So nobody the pay, the ball does not even touch the paint. There's a rescreen. He totally skirts that one to the point where again, there's no tags here. Nobody is tagging. The drop man isn't having to do anything. And then also gets back and contests that step back. And it's a pass out to the corner. And that guy actually fumbles the ball and it ends up being a turnover. His screen navigation, I think, is really superb generally. And that's not something the Pacers have had literally since Corey was defending. Like that particular season when Corey played with Victor, Boyan, Thad, and Miles, the Pacers held opponents to 99.3 points per 100 possessions versus when Darren was playing with the starters, it was 110.9. Like that just speaks to the value of having somebody – who can keep the ball out of the paint at the point of attack, which again, isn't something they've had. And I also think that a lot of what he does defensively doesn't even, isn't even just limited to that. Um, I was also pretty impressed with his team defense, given what his usage rate was that he was active and involved in that when he could have been using that to steal rest. And then there's also another really good off ball possession against Purdue where they're running a gut DHO with Travion Williams and he completely blows it up again. No other rotations are necessary. Jaden Ivy never even gets the ball which I can tell from whenever we did the Jaden Ivy pod, that gut DHO is incredibly difficult at that screening angle to stay in front of him, let alone prevent him from getting the ball. Yeah. He's one of the only players in the country this year who was able to get back in front of Jaden Ivy on any kind of ball screen. It was pretty amazing. Um, like his, that actually took one of the things I was going to do. Screen navigation is uh, like you mentioned, I think in terms of just looking at pure technique of, of shoulder dipping and, the way that he wades around stuff like and that kind of can flow into what my stock up is and it's his off ball movement on defense like I know part of it is not on defense off ball movement on offense like I know part of it is Wisconsin sets and the way they do everything but his footwork and ability to sell moves with uh I wouldn't necessarily call it explosiveness but um he has like a very uh discreet shiftiness is like definitely the wrong way to put it but like even with um like he's not Luca, but in that same way of like, even though he's not going super fast, like he can, he's so good at timing things and setting things up. Um, like even both with the ball in his hands, like he's adapted. Like if, if an, if ice coverage is happening, as soon as his man 
starts to calls out for a nice and shifts his feet. He's, he's going into a rip through or like when he's off the ball, he, it's like watching a wide receiver move uh, off the ball. Like he's so good at that. Um, so that's my stock. up. So I did not mean to interject into yours, but like, I was just thinking like his movement overall, I think would be my stock up. It's so, so impressive to watch him move. Asher, I'll let you go. Uh, wh- where are you at on that? Yeah, I think that the movement applies like all, all the stuff he does well offensively and all the stuff he does well defensively with the movement. They're basically similar movements, just, you know, re reused in different ways of like the shoulder dipping and then getting getting low to the ground to get around screens. But then uh, the way he the way he decelerates is one of the most impressive things to me um, offensively. Like he, he's really good at that kind of elongated two, that one two where it's not a euro step, but like he, he sort of just just slows his body down plants really really well no matter what he's doing he, he plants his feet like tremendously well and can change direction off it but that like slow it's almost Giannis like but not you know Giannis's physical tools with it that long one two in the lane it throws people off with his timing and he's used that so many times as a crutch to finish once he gets by somebody and he gets into that kind of crowd because it is a crowd that he's seeing that's one of the most important things about Johnny I think is the context of Wisconsin basketball and then trying to evaluate him with that context he was guarded. I texted you this, Mark, like in November versus January, it was like a different player in terms of how they guarded him, obviously, because he had the Houston game. He had the time and fake Maui Invitational in Vegas where he just torched everybody. And that was sort of his coming out party. I mean, this is a guy that averaged eight points a game and came off the bench as a freshman with a bunch of seniors in front of him. So he wasn't getting the attention he was getting later in the year. And then once he started to get the attention, I think everybody also realized that, well, there's there's no shooters around him. Like, I'm not worried about what anybody else is doing. So he saw two, three guys in the paint every single time he drove. It was going back to Giannis. It was like the Giannis wall sometimes when he drove. Um, and he used that uh, that footwork and the, the stop and starts and the low angles he can take, like the crazy low angles where he somehow, you think he's about to fall over, and yet he somehow stays on balance for a jumper or somehow stays on balance and gets to the rim. Um, it, it's just crazy to watch him move. And it's been like that since high school. Like, like he looked like that at lacrosse central, uh, in terms of the movement. It just, it just looks a little bit different than everybody else in the court. And I saw that from like the first minute he played at Wisconsin as a freshman. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing to bring up because I do have later on, we'll get to it, but, um, synergy has Wisconsin ranking in the eighth percentile of spot up efficiency as a team. And that's evident. Like what you're saying is, is completely evident every time you watch them, how many defenders were going to be waiting in the paint when he did stuff on top of just everything they were expecting him to do within that offense. But I do want to get both of your opinions because I'm glad that you both brought it up. I think sometimes when we talk about athleticism, the buzzwords tend to be like, you know, burst explosiveness, but Johnny is athletic just in a different sense of the word. Like what Mark just said, he has football athleticism in his way to stay low to the ground and get underneath guys and be able to um, use angles, be very unpredictable with changes of direction. And he does all that with a degree of smoothness. I mean, some of it does remind me of watching Karis Levert's manipulation of a screen because Johnny likes to reject a screen very quickly, use the angles and be disorienting for defenses. And that is a form of athleticism. It's just not generally what we think of it as. It's funny you bring up football because he had 20 rushing touchdowns as a senior at lacrosse central. He was a, he could have played D one football like a hundred percent. And I think you actually see the multi-sport movements and the, the fact that he played multiple sports for so long in his basketball movements. Uh, and it doesn't look, uh, it doesn't look uh, pre-rehearsed. Like it doesn't look like very bionic, like he's overtrained it. It all looks very, very natural and fluid. And I think a lot of the reason is because he was like a literal dual threat quarterback in high school and really good at it. 
that's interesting because we'll talk more about the quarterback thing when it comes to uh, probably stock down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think like, like you're talking about, Caitlin, actually, I'll have to put this down below. Um, a friend of mine who will probably be on this pod at some point, Jake Rosen, wrote a really good piece about looking at functional athleticism. And, and like you mentioned, Caitlin, talking about different like, you know, dispelling some of the buzzwords. Um, his, like, I think his lateral ability on both ends of the ball is what's so impressive. Like um, even going just like his ability to explode sideways is so huge in what he's able to do. And, and like you mentioned, Asher, the one like his uh, his stride change layups, like I think they, they hit different as the year went on. But early on, like you saw, especially like that Houston game and against Texas A&M too, like was deadly with that stuff. And the strength is just pretty wild too for where he's at. So Caitlin, uh, do you want to keep hitting on that or do you want to flow into stock down? Um, we can flow into stock down, I think. Um, mine is a little bit more extended when people are going to read it because mm. I just, like I said, I was like kombucha girl. Like I had looking at the same clips, I could have a favorable opinion and a negative opinion yeah. all at once. So it took a lot to process, but you know, I did mention Karis and I think that they're not identical players but in the way that they are deceptive and, and the types of shots that they get to with some of the extended isolations leading to short mid-range shots, I think Johnny source, let's see, in comparison, like I have this number here somewhere. Yeah. So 38.6% of his usage came from short mid-range shots and he didn't convert super well on those. The only players in the NBA who sourced that much of their offense from that range was Chris Paul, DeMar DeRozan, DeJounte Murray, Brunson, De'Aaron Fox at the guard position and Karis LeVert. Um, so you'll, you can see a lot of similarities in the types of shots that they get. And I kind of want to, you know, Mark's going to remember this, but the clip in the game before Karis got traded, when he went completely away from the play and you can see what Chris Duarte and Rick Carlisle's reaction was like, it just always felt like Karis was somewhat separate from what they were trying to accomplish and what the offense was. And I don't see a lot of Johnny just going outside of sets. I don't want to imply that, but in terms of how the Pacers want to work on offense and their games being somewhat similar and not just in the shot profile, but how they're getting to them. Um, I have a little bit of question on, but the one clip that I wanted to bring up in the conversation outside of that, because I do think that one that's different between the two of them is you'll see Karis, he will create the initial advantage and then he'll squander it and decide that he's going to pull up for a little bit of a two with a truncated drive. A lot of times with Johnny, it's like he's, he's struggling to get that advantage and then he's using contact to play off of it and getting to a step back two, or is taking a two because of that. So in the Michigan state game, which I'll have to get more context from, from Asher once I'm done explaining this, because I do have, I do have a, I do have a, I, I do have, one of the most brutal games of the season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I do have a question that I'm going to ask about a couple of these late season games, but um, so there's this, there's this possession late in the first half where Wisconsin's running a high ball screen for Davis and wisely it, they late pivot on it. So the Michigan state defender who's guarding the screener is going to have to cover more ground with the ball moving away to get in front of him. And that should create a seam for Johnny to be able to get into the paint, but he doesn't. The Michigan State defender cuts him off. So again, wisely, they rescreen it. He goes over the rescreen. They're at the level and he's still holding to the ball. And then he, he goes into a spin move and dribbles back into the defender. So now we're at three ball screens and he's still not even crossed the three point line. And that's a good defense from Michigan State, but no two feet in the paint. And then once he does get into the paint, 
his handle's a little bit loose. And this is what Asher mentioned that I definitely wanted to bring up in terms of Wisconsin's play context. The strong side quarter man is planted pretty much on the block for the entirety of this, not guarding that shooter at all. In spite of the fact that he's using a gravity cut, moving to the block and moving back out, trying to open that driving space and the defender just flat out doesn't care. And then also the screener could have slipped a lot sooner when the defender was up at the level and probably could have relieved that congestion. But point being is there's, there's moments there where he could have been a willing passer in spite of what some of the shooting was and doesn't move the ball until he ultimately loses it. And that, that also gives off as Mark will know, a very Karis vibe. So I'll yeah. turn it to Mark or, or you, either one. Just say, quickly, the one, one piece of context with the last two games you guys watched, the Michigan State game and the Iowa State game, he had a really bad ankle injury. Against That's the what Bucs. I was going to ask. He was never he was never close to the same movement-wise. It never looked the same for me. And I think it also affected his process. Like it probably got into his head, affected his process a little bit. And when he, especially the Iowa State game, he really deferred a lot in that game for a long period of time, but then sort of just all of a sudden felt like he had to, force everything and take over real quick down the stretch. And obviously that game has other context too, because your second best player goes out too, like your second best offensive player, at least Chucky Hepburn left that game in the first half. So he was left with, I mean, talk about lack of gravity. Like he was left with teammates that nobody was respecting guys that hadn't played all year, played in that second half of the biggest game of the year. Isaac Lindsay, who was a walk-on from UNLV played minutes in that game, did not play the rest of the year before that. So it was, it was a mess at the end of the year injury wise, and uh, I think it really affected him. Yeah, because I felt like you could really, that's why I was going to ask if he had, because I he injured his knee against Nebraska, correct? Or was that when he did the well, like lower? It, you call it lower body. It was more ankle, I think. Okay, because I not, thought. Like, college yeah. injuries, they're not specific ever, but like it was ankle, I think. Yeah, because I felt like he didn't have near the lift on his shot, especially in that Iowa State game by comparison to earlier. So I was going to ask how much you thought that was affecting him. He played because he's Johnny Davis. He probably shouldn't have played. But he played because that's 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 really who he is. Like he he was gonna play, but in all honesty, probably shouldn't have been playing and never looked the same, especially against Michigan State, especially in that second half against Iowa State, just was moving all sorts of wrong compared to how he was moving earlier in the year. And that I mean that kind of speaks to like when I was saying earlier about him making off ball rotations in spite of how you high usage of a player he was, like his defense still held up. Like that play I mentioned earlier where he wait weaved through three ball screens, he's doing that as you're saying on probably not a good ankle and he's yeah. still competing to that level. So I think that speaks a lot to him, but I'll let Mark jump in too. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, just to throw out for context, like I think, cause I went back cause I like, I, I watched a couple extra games just cause I wanted to throw in some more. And I love watching Johnny, honestly, as much as I hate watching Wisconsin, I love watching Johnny. So uh, I, I went back and like, just watch again, watching Maui and then watching comparatively Asher. I want to ask you this. Did you feel that, um, he started to use arms on his shot a lot more in 22 um, because I felt I, like, especially in I watching. Was, yeah. I was going to bring up that. I thought the, the upper body of his shot, the whole body of his shot was very different this yeah. year versus last year. I don't know how much you watched him shooting last year, but there were some weird hitches last year uh, in the upper body when he would shoot uh, never really looked comfortable shooting threes uh, and didn't want to take off the dribble specifically. Uh, took took more, not not tons this year, but took more off of like one or two dribbles uh, from three. And I think, yeah, he definitely did did use use arms more. I think he changed. I'd have to go back and like specifically look because I haven't watched that 2021 season in a while, those mm-hmm. games. But I really think there's differences in the upper body of the shot, like mechanically. And I, I noticed it first in the FIBA games. I noticed it first because he just had that summertime 
that's when I first noticed the change. So I, I kind of want to go back and see the specific difference, but um, definitely differences upper body with a shot that year versus last year. Yeah, definitely. Because it just felt like even like watching in November, December this year compared to February, it felt like he went from like being much more of like rubber band earlier in the year to like um, just I'm trying to think of like something more constricted, but like it felt like much more like he was trying to push with his arms and with his legs, um, especially as the year went on, like and just to throw out numbers for context for people like part of this is defensive shifting like he went like you mentioned he was like getting single coverage now which is just like crazy to think about now but in that Michigan State game like they were you know showing and recovering most of that game um like a lot of teams started just throwing to the ball especially in the paint I think is where you saw the biggest differences for him but like from so November to December first 10 games 47 percent from two 35 percent from three five and a half trips to the line 84 percent at the line January, an eight-game stretch, 47% from two, 37% from three, seven attempts at the line, and 73% at the free-throw line. February, 49.5% from two, but 22.7% from three. We'll get into the line the same amount, 76.8%. And then March was rough. And I feel like, again, with the, with the context of the injury, like 41% from two, 21% from three to the line last put shot 87%. So it's just, you, you could see some of the fluctuation and just honestly exhaustion in his game. Like, I don't know if there's a player who moved more in college basketball this year than Johnny Davis, in all honesty, like I, he had 32 and a half percent usage. Um, I think I was looking at CBB analytics earlier and I think there were only three players who had higher usage than him this season in division one basketball. So um, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a lot there, but my stock down, right now is passing vision. Uh, and you texted this to me extremely well this morning. So we were talking, I was very excited for this pod and you were like, I think right now, like his passing mechanics are a lot better than his passing vision. And that's something I would totally agree with going back and watching. Like um, it's almost again, not the same player, but it's kind of like watching Deuce McBride when he was at West Virginia a little bit. Um, like he makes some solid reads and we'll see things that are open, but also like, especially when he sees double teams um, or any kind of extra help, like, I do think that he can tend to miss things. Like, he can make some good interior reads, especially, like, I think he's solid at finding dump-offs. Um, but often, like, and I think, again, that's part of where the context comes in, too, because, all right, passing to Tyler Wall for what? You know, like, what, what happens? Is it actually impacting the defense? Is he going to make that shot? Is he going to take that shot? Like, that's that's where it gets murky, but I also think like there are definitely process things where he misses quite a few things and that's not to be a total knock on him, but I do think it does, uh, it does lower your projection a little bit because that's not something that's necessarily just going to get better, uh, you know, exponentially. That's a hard, yeah. So when I was, when I was talking about the shooting, by the way, I was thinking of like freshman to sophomore year, I think it mechanically got a lot better. And then as you talk about throughout the year, this year, uh, obviously the diet of shots was much tougher just because of the way he was being guarded, like those mid-range looks all of a sudden were, you know, uh, people just ignoring whoever else was on the floor, bringing two or three bodies to him uh, as soon as he put it on the deck. And and it just created a lot of tough fourth shots um, and probably led to some of the issues with the arms and, and whatever it was. But with the passing, it's really hard to contextualize, right? I think it's probably the hardest part of this to contextualize from based on who he played with and how they played and the way Wisconsin runs the swing. Because is it reluctance to – to give it to that guy who I don't trust, or is it, I'm not seeing it. And I think it was more of the former. I think it was as the year went on more of a reluctance 
and more of an, I'm just going to do this myself and force this. And at times that forcing worked, you watch the Purdue game. There were a lot of forced makes in that game. I think that game was insane. Oh, we'll talk about it. That game is just forced, insane. ridiculous, tough mid-range makes in that game. And in other games, as the year progressed, there were tons of forced mid-range misses. And I actually don't think the shots like from January through March that he got were much different. I think people started defending him uh, to the level they were defending him, loading up on him a ton. And he made in some games and he missed in some games uh, as far as like those tough mid-range jumpers, because those aren't an easy diet of shot to live off of as a high volume scorer. Only, only the great, 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 great grades can do that. And he did it at times, but yeah, I really think that's that, that it's hard. And, and you saw the, the pick and roll passing sometimes as a ball handler in the pick and roll. There weren't a ton of reps on it. Wisconsin doesn't do it a ton. It's mostly late shot clock. And even then, it's not a late shot clock with Chucky Hepburn being the ball handler in that situation. But when Johnny had those opportunities, I thought he, he played them pretty well. Um, uh, he was a good passer in transition. I thought he was just great yeah. in transition offensively in general, uh, both as a finisher and a passer. And yet, yeah, there were, there were times where, whether it be the reluctance to trust that guy in the corner uh, or I don't see it and, and I didn't see it develop well, uh, he didn't make the reads. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Caitlin, so, where are you at? Oh, sorry. So, Mark, how many times did you ask that same question about Karis this year? Did he not <laughs> see it, or did he just not want to pass it? Because, I yeah. mean, I, I think you can come up with a lot of clips like that. I think, generally, I've seen him make some pretty good reads that are more complex than just seeing the, the defense right in front of him. I think he can pass the ball. I think some of it just goes back to what the context was and an actual reluctance to do it. And some of his play can be kind of ball stopping. I mean, that's what I termed my stock down as um, he's not always super quick to make a play directly off the catch. And I think that that will help him. I mean, I think some of what we're talking about, we have to consider within the context of the Pacers as well, because, you know, I think he can be a secondary with Tyrese, but, um, some of the issues with the passing aren't going to be as big of an issue when you have Tyrese Halliburton's feel and playmaking out on the floor. So then it becomes for me, like if you're going to ease Johnny's, I think it'll be to his benefit to be in a smaller role and be eased into more of this. If he's operating off the catch more and second side pick and rolls, I think some of that becomes easier. And two, that uh, I think you need to wean him into making quicker decisions once he gets the ball, rather than it being a catch and hold and then doing something with it, which I think comes up fairly often. But I do want to get into the context of Wisconsin's actual offense a little bit, because Asher mentioned them running the swing, which is prevalent on almost every trip down the floor, like everything is a chin and tree to a degree. They used him in the post some, um, I shouldn't say some, they used him in the post <laughs> quite a, a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mark and both of you, I mean, if Asher wants to weigh in on how this would apply to the Pacers as well. Um, how do you feel about his context within the Pacers system? It's kind of cool because uh, like, obviously they're not, they're not going to run a lot of the same stuff, but I think he's actually a very good screener. Like legitimately quite a good screener like he'll he'll sell and make contact um which i think says more than 
it, I mean, like, it, it sounds like a simple thing, but I, especially for a team that is, um, is guard oriented and doesn't mind using guard to guard screens. I would, uh, I think it's like a nice thing for sure. Um, but yeah, we're Rick Carlisle is never calling a mid post touch for Johnny Davis. If see, if no, I think he will. I oh, think he really? will. Oh really? yeah. That's what I was going to say. I bet we're going to be on different pages with this because some of the chin action into wide pin that Wisconsin runs the Pacers run. Like I've seen them run that with Tyrese and Chris Duarte coming up out of the corner. Like, and they've used Johnny in both situations where he might come off the pin down or he might be the person coming off the chin cut and then immediately sealing into that post up or going around to the other side and getting the post up. I don't think it's going to be a prominent feature, but like, let me take you to the end of the Cleveland game, for instance, when, you know, the Cavs are switching Evan Mobley and Jared Allen out to the ball and Tyrese cannot get into the paint. They went to a post up with Chris Duarte in that game and used the split cut to get Buddy a shot because they just they couldn't get two feet in the paint. And in that sense, if opponents are going to throw length at Tyrese Halliburton, which can bother him, and Johnny's going to get the smaller assignment, I think that his passing out of the post, and this is what I want to get Asher's feedback on, when he has clear sight lines out of the post and gets a double team, I think that his passing feels pretty good in that scenario. So. I actually think that that would give the Pacers a little bit different look that they never even had as an option when Karras was out there. Like once in a while, they'll do that with Brogdon. And when Chris got a post up, which I'm going to have in this article, when he got that post up against Cleveland, it started at the three-point line because that's how far he got pushed out. So like, I don't think that they're going to be running like post sets for Johnny Davis, but to have that in your back pocket is an additional wrinkle, given what we know, what some of Tyrese's weaknesses can be, I think could actually be kind of valuable. Yeah, I think he's, first of all, I totally agree that passing out of the post, one of the most impressive areas to pass it for him all year, if not the most impressive. Uh, and he got a ton of doubles, right? But he did everything this year out of the mid post in, you know, against set defenses. It was after a lot of the time, sometimes it was the first mover and, and that was the first thing they were looking for. And sometimes he got that early in the possession. A lot of it was late shot clock stuff. Wisconsin, we played fast this year. That's 271st in the country out of 358 teams. Every other year I've covered the team, they've been 300 or above. So this was our like fast year because we had a couple times where Johnny would just have the green light or Chucky would have the green light to take it in transition. And we weren't going to slow things down, but 95% of the time he's playing against the set defense with almost no space because you're not respecting the shooters uh, on the weak side and guys are loading up on him. And yet he's still making it work in the mid post, either as a passer or as a scorer. It actually gets easier for him in the NBA. In that setting, it's going to get way easier for him as a mid post scorer in the NBA. Is he going to get it 10 to 15 times a game? No. Uh, is he going to get it two or three when, uh, like you said, teams are taking away things the Pacers want to do primarily, like a Tyrese Albert and drive, whatever it is, they're loading up on things like that. Uh, I think, yeah, I think there's totally a time and place for it uh, for him in the NBA to get mid post touches. And I think you're going to see him just excel in those situations because every context of mid post touches he's had in college is going to be harder than basically every mid post touch he gets in the NBA in space. Okay. Well, now that I, now I think about it like this, Caitlin, that I wasn't thinking about it either, by the way, that was all Caitlin. I was not, I I, I probably came in thinking like Mark and I quickly changed my mind and was like, yeah, you know what? He's actually way too good at it. No, I think I think it's it's a valid question whether Rick Carlisle would actually do that frequently. I've seen him do it in spots. Like I get where Mark's coming from, but just it's like from a value statement and everything that you just said, and thinking about you know Johnny playing off of Tyrese and how much different the spacing will be, especially if they still have Buddy, depending upon you know Miles spacing out and what he does positionally. I just think from a context standpoint, 
both sides would give each other something that they don't readily have. Like mm-hmm. I, I can envision it. Yeah, no, I love that. Now I think about it, especially too, like that's one of my biggest questions is just like, if they end up doing a three guard lineup, typically like just how creative they're going to have to get with some of their stats. Because again, like, I think it's going to be, it'll, it'll just be, I, I still just don't know what to think of what this team's going to be next year, but um, I think that's part of what's exciting. Um, I think, can I jump in really? Yeah, quick? of course. Cause I like what you just said, because I think that he and Chris and Tyrese could play together, especially yeah. defensively. Think how helpful that would be to Chris and Tyrese to have Johnny at the point of attack and just be using Chris and Tyrese's instincts away from the ball. That would be like, amazing. Imagine that somebody who can stop the ball on the perimeter. That's well, insane. And, and can I ask another question mm-hmm. to either one of you about the defense that um, especially Asher, because Wisconsin's running predominantly drop and, and he's getting to trail over screens, which he's very good at in screen navigation. We don't know what the Pacers would do next year. Certainly, if that's what they do with Miles Turner, I think the two of them would be dynamite defending the pick and roll. But how do you feel about him on switches, Asher? I think I feel pretty good about him on switches. Um, pretty good. I, I think it's, it's, it's the movement that allows him to – uh, to basically be used in such a variety of situations. And the other way I feel really good about him defensively or even offensively, if you're looking at a three-yard lineup, is rebounding. Because we haven't talked about it yet, but all the movement defensively, that he he's so good, so, so good at moving defensively. And because he never stops, that motor never stops on either end of the floor, uh, he just always finds himself in perfect position to, to grab offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds. And with a three-yard lineup, uh, I think he's going to get a ton of defensive rebounds in the NBA um, and can battle guys. Uh, if he switched onto a big, can battle that guy for a board uh, and, and is not afraid to do that at all. And it's the functional athleticism that really allows him not just being in, obviously like being in spots is great. Like I can be in a spot against Miles Turner. I'm not getting a board. doesn't matter, but like his functional athleticism then allows him to go up, get those boards. Um, and uh, he did it a lot at Wisconsin and he just always seemed to have a knack for it from literally his freshman year. That was the first, like first day, I think his first game, he had like five rebounds and I was like, wow. Uh, and they were all impressive rebounds. So that's another area where I think he could absolutely be used as a, as a three guard guy. And that's going to be important because I mean, the Pacers ranked 25th in opponent offensive rebounded percentage after that trade, once the bonus was no longer in the lineup and like, that's, you know, they didn't have all their main guys available and were playing young guys as well, but like, that's never been miles Turner's strongest suit. So having more guards that can crash from the perimeter and actually be an impact there. I think a lot of these things that he does that haven't readily been available to the Pacers, make it easier for him to have leeway in terms of what some of his, you know, efficiency shot profile stuff is to work through that because you're going to want to keep him on the floor for other reasons. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a great point. And I, just to add on too, like, I really like even, so if he does get screened out or like, even just like a little bit screened out, he's really good at peel switching on the bigs too. Uh, I think that was pretty noticeable, um, especially watching the Purdue game uh, because of how many screens he got ran through. Um and like, like Asher mentioned, I, I really like how he's able to fight against bigs. Like, again, like not somebody you want defending Zach Eady all the time, but oh. like, if it, if it has to happen, it happens. Um, but yeah. And also one thing I just wanted to ask, we've hit it on it so many times to give people an idea of what the spacing was like at, at Wisconsin, if you haven't just from a numbers perspective. Um, so you had the best shooter on the team was tech. I mean, Brad Davison by volume and the percentage was 34.7. So he was like slightly lower than Chucky Hepburn, but 
Tucky Hepburn shot 34.8% on three, um, on, on yeah, just about three attempts per game. And then you have Steven Crowell, and then that's kind of it. And nobody else shot even 30% from deep. So it's like, yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, just just for context. So you just mentioned Brad Davison, best shooter on the team, right? Yeah. So for more context, you just mentioned Brad Davison, best shooter on the team. That is a guy, this is real, this is real, that last year, 2020 to 21, shot 28% on twos. 28% on twos. That was, that was an outlier uh, for his career. Every other year he was over 40. But that was high volume, 28% on twos. That's what, that's what we're talking about here. I love Brad. He does a lot of good things. But finishing at the rim is not one of them. Mid-range jumpers is not one of them. Yeah, so it's it is a tough scene. Um, but I, I I mean, just to answer your question, General Ken, I think I'd feel pretty good about him on switches. I do think the I wouldn't even necessarily call it a drawback. Um, but in terms of like guarding up a position, he doesn't have the longest arms. So like I do think that there were times where you could see, especially if you had to do a long closeout, like he's really good at covering ground, but he doesn't get quite the same contest just because I think he's only a plus plus two wingspan right around there. So again, it's not everything, but I do think that's the kind of thing that would hold him back from being like, you know, a, a quote unquote all defense caliber guy. Like, obviously I still think he could be good enough where you get to that level, but it, it definitely lowers your ceiling a little bit. Cause yeah, I think I that's something we see with TJ McConnell a lot. Like that's, yeah. I have a note on that about his closeouts as well, because sometimes you'd see it when he'd come tag the roller and it was really on on par. And then other times, like you're saying, because of the lack of outlier length, um, lack of outlier speed at his position, it, it wasn't always ideal, but or he's having to reach for back taps then. But I think my thing, I, I agree with both of you that I think if it was a veer switching situation, I would I would feel pretty good about him running those seams. But there were a few occasions in all of these games where it wasn't necessarily a switch, but he's out on an island and kind of got blitzed um, straight up where his his back pedal um, is different from the lateral, as we've mentioned to begin with. So if you're switching, you know, guard to guard to guard, um, I wouldn't feel as good about that as if you're back in a drop scheme as the Pacers had done in seasons past and really letting him navigate screens from there. But I mean, I don't think it's that he can't do it. I just don't think it's quite to the same level. And I think it was smart that Wisconsin used him in the way that they did for the most part. But yeah, Wisconsin was fortunate. They had a really good point of attack defender to guard those like that. Every good college basketball team has, you know, those six foot, the six, two, just shifty guards that seem to get paint touches whenever they want in college. They had Chucky Hepburn to deal with that. And when Johnny was switched on to those guys, I also didn't love it. Um, I don't, I don't think he, I think he has to give space there. Like he has no choice. Uh, he basically has to give you a couple, uh, feet of space and just live with the results. And yeah, there's, there's a, you know, a laundry list of guys that'll be a problem against, uh, at the next level, much more than you'd see in the big 10. But it was yeah, cause, yeah. Cause I think that's the thing he's either having to back up and then giving a little bit too much space to that shooter, or he's having to play it too close. And then that's where some of the speed comes into play but i mean again it's tough for us to project because who knows what the pacers plan to do on the defensive end of the floor that's kind of anybody's guess but um i did have a number whenever mark was talking about the shooting both of you were that he actually surprisingly given what his shot looked like in those last few games against iowa state which i do think had something to do with the ankle like you had mentioned but he shot 38 percent from three according to instat on catch and shoots so like yeah the pull-up shooting an issue from deep, but as far as off the catch, not too bad. 
That's a good point. I don't really, I haven't thought about that. Like the kind of the inverse Karras in that regard, where Karras was not good shooting off the catch, but could occasionally make pull up and step back threes. Let like, me say for the best to be inverse Karras uh, from, yeah. from a shooting yeah. perspective, because it's just, it's such a. Well, yeah. And then if you're going to be playing from Tyrese, the, the catch and shoots a little bit more important as well. But I also like even talking about like me mentioning before about him still being active in an off ball defensive role, despite his usage. I looked up, he had 11 games this year where he did not make a three pointer. And in those games, he averaged over six free throw attempts per game. So his free throw rate was 43%. And for the season, it was 39%. So he actually got to the line more often and games where he didn't make threes, which suggests to me a little bit of an emphasis of him knowing, like, I have to compensate for that when my shot isn't falling. And having somebody who can get to the line is also going to be important for the Pacers and has been important for several years, as we know, because they just haven't had a lot of guys who can do that. And again, like, not to invoke Karras, but like Karras had eight games where he didn't make a three, and in five of them, he never got to the line. So Yeah. So it's uh it's tough out here, but yeah, no, I think that's a really great point to bring up because it's not even just uh like I don't want to say that they're fake free throws for anybody, but like I think like his free throws very much feel like something he can get at the next level. Like it's not just something he's getting because he's bigger, faster than or stronger than anybody. Like I don't think he's necessarily gonna average six free throws a game in the NBA, but like he showed some some ability to to manipulate and sell foul calls, which a, I appreciate that. If you want to bitch about it, it's bitch of the rule book, not the player. Um, and then also, like, like I mean, it's just the strength, like the strength in general and his ability to totally body somebody on drives. Like, even if he's not getting all the way to the rim, he's able to to still get fouls out of it. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with that, Caitlin. That's the biggest difference, man. Like, two years, watching him step on campus that summer before 2021 to now, it's like the upper body, the shoulders. Like, he, he just looks so different than he used to look. Um, and it allowed him to get to the line a ton. Like he is so, so functionally strong with his upper body. It is nuts. Um, and I think you really saw it this year versus last year. Uh, and even the improvement from last year to this year, but yeah, the, the, the two years he's had at Wisconsin to develop his body have been otherworldly for him. Mark, did you have any other Johnny Davis related topics that you Well, yeah. One up? thing I wanted to ask you, both of you, um, where are you at with him as a movement shooter? Like, I didn't necessarily look up the numbers for this, but just in general on, on his ability to shoot off movement coming off screens. Right. It so it felt like mostly it was pull up or, or catch and shoot. Right. So in the play that I was talking about when they run the chin wide pin, which I think could be really dynamic with Isaiah Jackson as, you know, setting the chin back screen at the elbow and then veering into that wide pin. The Mavericks did that with Dwight Powell and then he would veer into a lob. So if you have that there, and you have Tyrese able to throw the lob or hit Johnny on the wide pin action of it if he's not coming off the chin screen. Um, they ran that some with him coming off of that screen a few times in these games, and his defender would duck the chin portion and then duck again on the wide pin. So I do think he's going to have, like, and that's not always going to apply to off screens where somebody's going to go under. But, like, I do think that he's going to have to reckon with people going under screens against him a little bit and what he's going to do with that. Um, the shot was short as many of his shots were short in these games. And that might be somewhat of the ankle, but in terms of like, do I think he's going to come flying off of motion strong into a three? No, but do I think he can lift up from the corner a little bit and hit that shot? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think I'm uh, like a little, a little worse than neutral on it. 
Uh, he didn't do it a ton at Wisconsin, but that also wasn't because he wasn't good at it. That's just not what he was asked to do uh, a lot of. Like, I don't, I don't really remember specific examples of him being used in that way uh, a lot, to be honest. Like, most of the images in my mind are, you know, mid-post catches off of flowing, flowing through the swing, gets that catch on the – starts on, you know, the right side, flows through to the left block, gets that catch, takes usually three or four seconds. The ball kind of stops, and uh, he cerebrally makes his decision. Or – taking it up himself, uh, trying to just quickly attack the defense before it's set. I don't remember him coming off uh, for a ton of movement shots, to be honest. Can he do it? Um, maybe. I, I don't think we've seen enough of it to know, to be perfectly honest, uh, at any level for him, high school, college. So I, I tr- overall, I do trust the shot. Like overall, in different situations, I, I do trust it long-term. Um, he's never going to be a great three-point shooter. I think he'll always be a serviceable one for sure. And I think he's right away going to be a pretty serviceable one. He's a really good free throw shooter. Um, he's going to keep getting the line a ton. And uh, the mid-range speaks really well for him, you know, expanding it out four or five feet for how many tough mid-ranges he hit this past year. So uh, overall, as a shooter, I do trust him. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm in the same boat. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you, Caitlin, and again, not to just pit people against one another, but – just in terms of looking at actual fit with Tyrese Halliburton, you would consider Johnny Davis what compared to the rest of the guys that we've talked about, at least backcourt. So let's say compared to Jaden Ivey and Benedict Matherin, um, which I guess we're getting loose calling Benedict Matherin backcourt. But wh- where would you be at with compared to those two? I mean, I think Benedict Matherin right now today is going to be plug and play directly into stuff that Rick Carlisle runs. I mean, I know that I mentioned that they run this particular Mm -hmm. set, but there was just a lot larger, wider variety. And I like the idea of Benedict Matherin running with out ahead where his athleticism really pops and and transition. And I also like just him being a movement shooter and him using his cutting instincts around Tyrese's eye manipulation. But in terms of, I guess I would word it like this. I think that Matherin would augment Tyrese's strengths and Johnny might address some of his weaknesses a little bit more where you would have somebody like what I mentioned with being able to use him in the mid post and being able to, you know, if a team does throw length at Halliburton and he's getting a smaller defender, what he would be able to do against that and having somebody else who can get a shot. Um, I know that we can quibble a little bit about what the advantage creation actually is, but in terms of him like manufacturing a shot, um, I, that's how I would put it. I think that Matherin makes sense with the strengths of what they already do and that Johnny would give them more of things that they don't currently have. And I kind of like that, honestly, like, I think it's something I'd have to toy with more, but in terms of like, if you really want to be all in on making Tyrese Halliburton, your one, a player and, and focusing on, on who he can be in that development. I think that that is intriguing to me. Um, and uh, you you hit on something else too that's interesting. Uh, I feel like we haven't heard about this since uh, since December, but the closer talk. I'm not saying that Johnny Davis has to be the closer, but I do think there is a real important element to just being a player who can at least be comfortable taking shots like that from the mid range. Because I just don't really think they're like I, yes, Tyrese has his ungodly touch, but like in terms of somebody who's comfortable going into and doing that stuff, like that's really huge. Like, obviously you have Chris Duarte is capable of doing that too, but I think Johnny's to an even different level um, in terms of the actual creation and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's, it's always, I think having as many players who can do anything with, with shot creation 
obviously with efficacy is, is important in an offense. So, well, and because I didn't bring it up, even though we have talked about it, fit isn't always, isn't only on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah. And exactly. he fits with Tyrese defensively better than anybody that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. So 100%. Um, did you want to bring up anything else? No, I covered all of um, the few stats that I prepared ahead of time for the pod and, and the various uh, clips that I'm going to have included. Perfect. Well, Asher, first of all, thank you a ton for joining us, man. This was a lot of fun. Of uh, I could talk Johnny Davis all day, any day, honestly. Um, is there anything that you want to plug or, or mention before we get out of here? Well, thank you guys for watching multiple Wisconsin basketball games. That's not the easiest thing to do always. Uh, but yeah, badgerswire.com uh, is part of USA Today Sports covering Wisconsin football and basketball. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, well, appreciate you coming on, man. Um, this was this was a blast. We'll definitely have to talk again sometime soon. Maybe it is, is Brad coming back for a sixth year. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> they so the April Fools joked it. Oh yeah, I think some people may have fallen for it, but yeah, it was like they actually released it on the UW Athletics website as like a legit article. They were like oh, Brad Davis announced he's coming back for a sixth year, but no, he is not coming back for a sixth and final. Well. This was his final. Yeah, he's not coming back for a sixth year in Madison, even though the April Fools joked it. Well, who knows? Maybe next year we'll always talk about Chucky Hepburn because he is interesting. He does do some things that are, are fun. Yeah, not, not quite there all yet, right. but yeah. <laughs> all right. I like well, I appreciate you, man. To everyone listening, I'll uh, I'll have Asher's Twitter link below. He's really insightful on all things basketball. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Most importantly, have a good rest of your day.